And we're going to look at the true life event of a man who was born blind as he encountered Jesus Christ. It's found in John chapter 9. I'm going to read you the, the verses that I've, I've put in your handout. Uh, John 9, 1 through 11. So the words of... Uh, This is God's word written down by John, and it says this, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home, seeing his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and bag? And some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash so I went and washed, and then I could see. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking him for his help as we enter into his word, the guiding uh, help that we need by the Holy Spirit as we read the Bible, to discern what each of us need today from his word. I've asked, uh, David, you can go back to the beginning of the passage. You know, sometimes, and, and I recognize this in this room, there, there are those of you in this room who've been believers longer than, longer than I've been alive. I recognize that. I've been alive since uh, 1977. I'll turn 43 in a couple of months. Yes, I'm getting that old. Uh, But that's still staying young in my book, so that's where we're at. Many of you have probably heard this passage preached. You've you've heard it taught. You probably, maybe even as a child, if you grew up in church like me, this is one of those cornerstone passages that you are taught in, in children's church, in your Sunday school classes. The man born blind, but... The trouble is is that we can hear something over and over and over and over and over again that we become a little bit numb to it because we know what's about to happen next. And we don't really take in what God has for us in the moment. This this uh, this week I want to just talk about the first 11 verses. We're not going to talk about the, the interaction with the Pharisees that goes on next week. I'm going to be a little tempted to go into that, but I, I'm going to do my best to stay away from it because... This sets up the stage for the next thing that happens. In fact, the disciples' question that they ask is the same questions that the Pharisees have running in the back of their mind. It's because they too had been taught something their entire lives and it was so deeply rooted they didn't take a moment to stop back and think, well, maybe their interpretation of what they thought was the truth was a little bit skewed and wrong. In fact, the Pharisees, as we're going to discover next week, are going to, are going to point to the fact that Jesus is breaking the Sabbath just by simply kneading mud and turning it into clay. And if actually, in actuality, the, the prohibition to knead was, was based on dough and they're going to, they're going to stretch it on to Jesus and say, well, he made some clay, he's breaking the Sabbath. Tisk, tisk, tisk. 
Furthermore, they take a superstition. Superstition that derives itself from the Ten Commandments, but they assume something that's not true. Exodus 20, verse 5 says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Let me back up. Verse 4, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above or anything on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. For the Lord your God, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So when the disciples asked the question, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind, they were raised with a superstition that if someone is born with a birth defect, it's probably either due to the fact that that person sinned in the womb or mom and dad had some sort of problem or even their grandparents have some sort of problem. And this is retribution from God for what an ancestor did. Jesus is saying, get your superstition out of here. It's got no place. Because this is to bring glory to God. See, this guy, his entire life had been spent relying on others. Any money that he had was the gift of others. Anything he was given, his clothing, was the gift of others. Food had to be handed to him as a gift from others or a provision from others. So when we find that people knew who he was, they were probably people who had either given to him or did their best to ignore ignore his pleas for help and turn and look the other way as if they didn't see him. We do it. Let's, let's not admit that we don't. And we get a little skeptical of it sometimes. I was having a conversation with a family member the other day when somebody walked up to us and they said, hey, can you help? And this person reeked. They, 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 they reeked of alcohol. And I was like, I was like, I, I, in my heart, I couldn't give them any money. You know, I just was like, no, I'm sorry. I wish, wish I could, but I've got no cash in my wallet, which is absolutely true. I had, no cash in my wallet. Maybe I should have stopped Jesus and said, could I pray for you? At least given this person something. But this is what happens sometimes we get a little jaded. We get a little, uh, we get a little hardened in our own heart because we see it over and over again. And sometimes we get that way to our friends and family members. It feels like we're helping the same person over and 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 over again. The man in this story had been at the experience of that. He had to ask for it. Now, we don't know his full condition because, in fact, we find out the here he's not even asking Jesus for help. He's not asking. It literally says, Rabbi, who sinned? The disciples trying to, trying to have a good moment. And I, and I, and I wonder if they had a conversation, if it, if it was one of them who had to work up the courage to ask Jesus, or if multiple ones of them asked Jesus trying to say, ha ha, I'm going to ask the right question right now. You ever do that? Especially if you're around your siblings, you think you're going to like, I'm going to ask dad the right question, and he gives you that look like there's no dumb questions. Just somebody asking me dumb questions. You know, it's kind of... 
My dad has that ability to have that look. I think he's passed it on to me. Sometimes I don't mean it. It just happens. It's just natural. Uh, it's nurture. Um, probably not natural. But but here he is, and the disciples try to ask a brilliant question, and it falls flat. Rabbi, who sinned that? This man or his parents that he was born blind. First of all, it's none of their business. Even if it was sin that caused it, none of their business. Really it is. None of their business. Somebody else's sin, it's none of our business. That one's free. That's not even the message. You can just pencil that one in right there. But here's where we go. Go ahead, David. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus goes ahead and answers it because he can, because he knows. Jesus said this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, this is the point where punctuation really kind of messes with our Bible a little bit. Thank you for laughing, Blanche, because you know where I'm going. Because Jesus in chapter 8 has just said, I am the light of the world. That's why this brilliantly follows, because you have a man who can see no light, truthfully, or even know what the light is. He might be able to see light and shadow, but he doesn't know truly what the light is. So, imagine that's not a capital A and that that period is a comma. It could read, but this man, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him as long as it is the day we must do the works of him who sent me. It's not a whole new statement. It's continuing on what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying it's that the works of God might be displayed or shown in him that the glory of God would manifest itself and while it is right now that's going to happen through me he's telling his disciples come and see come and see what's about to happen and he says night is coming when no one can work but while he's in the world and he makes the statement again I am the light of the world now Jesus does something that only a blind person would let him do he does, and it's truthfully, because we would take a step back if we saw somebody try to do this, let's be honest. The Bible says Jesus spits on the ground. How many of you have taught your children not to spit? oh my nephew just turned around and looked at mom. <laughs> Wait a minute, Uncle James just told me Jesus spit on the ground, so you know, here's what happens, verse 6, go ahead, David. It says this, it says, after he said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva and put it in the man's eyes. Now, if you have a King James version of the Bible, if you have a new King James version of the Bible, if you have a new American Standard Bible, what does it say instead of mud? Somebody want to tell me? Anybody? Clay. It says the word clay. It's kind of interesting that he's molding something out of clay. Jesus, the one who through all things, all things were made by him through him, John chapter 1. He's in the act, maybe a little bit of creation right here, and he he's making the guy maybe a new set of eyes, or he's just fixing the ones there. We don't know exactly how he did it. We don't know what happens. We just know that he puts something on the guy's eyes, and he says, go and wash. And it's one of those moments that I think when you think about it, it's it's beautiful, it's meaningful, and it kind of puts a smile on your face because, yeah, that's what you're going to do. You're going to wash. We were... In remodeling our house, um, I get the dusty jobs sometimes of, 
you know, cutting out a hole for like, you know, you're going to put the shower board up, Joe, and before you, before you tile, hopefully just once, tiling just once, and you cut like a hole and it's just the dust on you or you put the board up and it's just a little bit extra. Jack, you've been with me when we've done some of these things and he stands back while I'm sitting there just trimming up this board and it's just dust and dust and dust and dust and dust. You know what you got to do? Especially if you've had eye surgery and your eyes are really sensitive to every little bitty speck or even the thought of speck. Like this is making my eyes itch right now, Gene, just describing it. I go and wash off and I end up looking a little bit like a raccoon. Because I wash everything like right here around my eyes or I take off my goggles and it's dusty. And it's just like right here where it's been clean and I still go and wipe off what's in the eyebrows because I have thin eyebrows and it's just going to drop anyways. <laughs> but he takes mud and he puts it on the guy's eyes. Now, now we don't know exactly where Jesus is right at this. I mean, we, we can't go to Jerusalem and say he was standing right here. But it is the Sabbath, and most people traditionally believe that he was pretty close to the temple on that day. And if that's the case, and he tells a blind guy to go to the Pool of Siloam, you're talking southern Jerusalem. Now, this guy may have known how to make his way. He may have had somebody help him, but this is what the guy does. He goes, and he Jesus sends him, and he goes to the pool named Sent, and he washes his eyes off, and he comes home seeing. And I was thinking about this the other day. He comes home seeing, having never seen before, so how did he really know where he was? And that's probably how the next verse happens, verse 8. Because he begins to talk to people, or people begin to see him. And his neighbors and those who formerly had seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? He didn't just sneak home. It's not at night. It's in the middle of the day. On the Lord's day. Some claim that it's him, and then they're arguing, and he says, no, I am the man. It's me. And what's going to arouse is a bigger argument that we'll look at next week if you want to go ahead and read ahead so you're not surprised. But verse 10 and 11, he settles the argument and the discussion with his neighbors. It's essentially this. Go ahead, David. It says, how were your eyes open, they ask. How can you see? How is this? You were the guy that used to beg, and now you can see. The problem is, if this happened in our day and age, we we would claim that that person was running a scam and they never were blind before. That's how we would treat them. How many of you would agree with that? You're like, oh, I'm not going to... That's how we would treat... That's how the news would treat them. And we, Joe and I would talk about it probably a little bit. Do you really think that guy was blind? That would be our conversation. Yeah, don't shake your head. You know. Okay. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. But he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud or clay, depending on your translation, and then put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, and not so I went and washed. And then I could see. When asked one or two times by the Pharisees, he's going to finally say, listen, I don't know whether the man was good or, good or evil. He's going to say, but I know this. Once I was blind, now I see. It's very simple, very simplistic Testimony, But what this passage gives us is a model of how God wishes for us to deal with adversity because we're going to have small adversities in life and we're going to have big adversities in life. Like this morning I caused an adversity in somebody else's life. I was only going 45 down railroad road. Railroad road. That's Don't say that really fast or just sounds like railroad road. It sounds like Scooby-Doo. 
But I was coming out Railroad Road from Marlow because I just don't like driving out 81. And I was going way too slow for somebody. And he went around me like I was standing still. Been there. Yeah. Been there. Now, if it was one of you, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about your safety and driving when it's slightly raining outside. But there are little bitty things that sometimes the adversity we face are the little things that agitate us. Sometimes they're just those little things that irritate us and it can ruin our day. Like it happens at 11 in the morning and we're still thinking about it at 6 in the evening. Like we thought about it all during lunch. We called four or five people and told them about it. And we're still mad about that person who's doing 45 down the railroad road. When we had to make it to church because we didn't get up on time and we were running late. Whatever it was. Sometimes the adversity is like that. Sometimes something just doesn't swing our direction. The, the world calls it bad luck or good luck. To me, it's just life happening. Sometimes we, maybe the car breaks, I'm speaking of cars, sometimes the car breaks down. Sometimes something goes wrong, and it's, and it's arbitrary. It's mechanical. We couldn't stop it. It just happens. And it's those little small adversities we face in life. How many of y'all have ever heard somebody say the phrase, or you've said it to somebody else, don't sweat the small stuff? Anybody? We don't need to sweat the small stuff. Because if we sweat the small stuff, the big stuff in life is going to dehydrate us. Think about that. Because sometimes those adversities are family issues. Maybe you go through a season where you're arguing with your children and you just, they're being headstrong and you're being headstrong and nobody's getting any way. Nobody's, nobody is, uh, softening, you are in a constant mode of fighting. I'm not talking about you, Jack. I'm just saying sometimes it happens, buddy. He looked at his grandpa like, is he talking about me? No, okay. Sometimes it's at work. Sometimes if, if, if you're the boss, sometimes your employees just don't get it or they're not following instructions. Sometimes if you're the employee, it's like your boss just doesn't even care and you're doing all the work for somebody who's not doing a single thing. Sometimes those things can work up into our lives and it just bothers us. Sometimes it's an ongoing health issue that, that doesn't go away. And it hurts. I watched my, uh, my stepfather deal with lymphoma for years and years and years. And we never, we, we, it never regressed. It just slow and steady progression. And my mother had to face the adversity of that horrible, horrible cancer day after day after day. And sometimes it's, we can get a little impatient just because we, some of us who deal with seasonal allergies and it feels like it's week after week after month after month after month. And that's a small adversity. And then somebody else is dealing with a larger adversity of something like a cancer. It's adversity. Sometimes those adversities come just because they're born into life with you. Uh, deafness, hard of hearing, whatever you want to call it, is something that is rampant through my mother's side of the family. My brother was born with a three-quarter deficiency of hearing in both ears. It's adversity. Sometimes, like the, the man in this passage this morning, he was born blind. That's just the thing. 
When Jesus describes it, he doesn't say it's because of sin. Adversity just happens. Sometimes that adversity is big. Sometimes that adversity is heartbreaking. And it's everything from the loss of a job to the destruction of a family to the death of a family member. We could go from very small and minute adversities to very large ones. But the plan God has for us is always the same in how he wants us to respond. And he teaches us in the little moments how to respond. So when the big moments come, there's no question of how we will do it. Here's why, here's the problem though. Here's, here's how we handle adversity. Number one, something happens to us. Whatever it may be. But number two, this, this is the next step. Go ahead, David. We whine about the inconvenience. We complain. This is how we handle it. And by the way, this isn't scriptural. This is just through my own observation. You may have some sub points in between there. You may skip a step or two. I don't know. But this is what I've observed around me and in my own life. We whine or we complain. So it happens. We want to tell someone about it. And we are mad. We are fed up. We are hurt. Number three, this is what happens. We, we sulk or stew. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there. We're going to take a pause to things right now. Right? I know some of you are, are, are probably excellent cooks. But that is a type of stew that nobody needs to make. Nobody needs to stew. Stewing does nothing. But that's what we sometimes do with our emotions. Something bad happens, something we don't like happens. You know what we do? We stick it in a crock pot and we just let it marinate for weeks and months and years. So here's what I'm saying. It stinks because it burns really fast. That's right. That is absolutely correct, Nicole. We all have this emotional crock pot. And honestly, we need to sell it in a yard sale and not even use it anymore because it's burnt. And the problem with that is, I'm glad you brought that up because it makes me think of something. Sometimes those emotions from other stuff are still burnt in there. So when we stew about this, this other thing kind of comes up. Again, I'm not saying this is scriptural. I'm just telling you, I've seen it. I've seen somebody upset about one thing and then all of a sudden something happened 10 years ago comes up. Like, why did this happen to me? And I'm like, whoa. Man, where, yeah, where did it come from? Where? Then we blame. We become, we go from, from cooking and stewing to blame throwers. And we just start pointing at everybody else, people who weren't even around. And see, the disciples were trying to cast blame on why the man was born blind. Why is he blind? There's gotta be someone to blame. Or maybe life just happened. Maybe it just happened and there's no rhyme or reason of why it happened. And what God wants to do isn't in the why it happened. What God wants to do is in the how we move on from it. Maybe it's not the why that happens that's the big deal. It's the what happens next that God's concerned with. And then this, we do this. We try to figure out a plan to fix it. I got this. I can see this. And that some people stew for that. And they're still stewing while they're blaming because everything's on fire. And then they think they, they figured out. And this, one of two things, David, go ahead. One of two things happens. Uh, if it isn't revolved, we feel stuck with it. I'm just going to have to live with it. Which is probably where this man felt. This way life's going to be for me. Blind my whole life. I'm going to learn, learn how to do it. And we don't know his attitude. 
He may have been one of the most joyous, godly people that we'll get to meet when we get to heaven before Jesus healed his eyes. We don't know. But our human nature is to feel stuck if we can't get out of our situation and we wallow in our own self-pity. Or number two, if it is resolved, part of us acts wounded the rest of our lives and at the same time we take credit. Like, man, I'm going to walk with a limp, but man, look how good I did. Walking with this limp. I made it through. Look how good. And we do this and it's this, this false sense of accomplishment. And God is completely left out of the picture. Well, in this, in this passage, God gives us a very simple step. And the parallel of these, and by the way, there's fewer steps. So it's really good. You're like, well, he's already talked that long. No, this is really, really simple. And I love this. Number one, something happens to us. Go ahead, David. This is how God intends it to be. And this is what's in your notes. Something happens to us. Absolutely. As he went along, he saw a man born blind. Something happened to this man. It happened in the womb, whether it's hereditary, whether something went wrong, we don't know. He's just born blind. Whatever you're facing happened. It happened. And so much of the time we spend on what happens that we can't move on from it because we refuse to move on from it. I I love my older sister dearly. But she was stuck in my parents' divorce for about a decade. She was stuck. Like as soon as it happened, she quit college. She basically just gave up for the longest time. Because she was stuck in that moment when she found out that mom and dad aren't going to be together anymore. Sometimes things happen and either we've got to make the choice that we want to move on. Or we're just going to stay there stuck in it. The man was born blind. It happened. What I'm learning more and more is that I don't have a lot of control in my life. I've got a control about how I respond to things. I've, I've got a free will that I can make some decisions in my life of what I'm going to do, say, act, think. But when I get in my car and drive, I've, I've, I've had to learn this the hard way. I can't control the people around me. I can't, I can't stop that guy from wanting to speed around me this morning. You know what I did? As soon as I saw that green truck, I just, I'm revealing maybe who it is. I don't know. It's nobody in this room. Old, old beat up green Chevy pickup truck. If you see it driving from Marlowe, you're going to be like, that's the guy. No. Um, <laughs> best thing I know I could do is rather than let it stress me out, I just pulled over a little bit on the side of the road, hung the right two tires into the gravel shoulder, let him go by. Now part of me, I'll admit this, was hoping I would see red and blue flashing lights. <laughs> Because I'm that guy. Let there be a cop. Let there be a cop. Where's a cop? Where's a cop? Where's a cop? I'll admit that. Or I could just let it. Y'all are like, are you still angry? No, it just happened. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? It happened. Something happens to us. The man was born blind. It happened. Well, here's the next thing. Something happens. We trusted in God's hands. So much of the time we, we... we call people on the phone. We talk to people in person. What do, you, what do you think God wants me to do? What do you think? If you're a believer, you automatically know know what God wants you to do. And I and I and I know I've said this a few times, but I'm going to say it again. God's overall will is really, really, really simple: trust and obey. Trust and obey. It almost sounds like there should be a song. 
There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Notice it doesn't say there's no other way for Jesus to be happy with us. For to have contentment with Jesus is to trust and obey. So it's a very, very simple thing. Trust it into God's hands because everything we face in life is meant to point back to the Father. It's meant to point back to the Son. It's meant to point to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. Everything meant in our life is meant to glorify God and what He's doing in, around, above, below, and all, all together with us. The small things, when you don't lose your cool, glorifies God. It does. When you show patience and grace to your kids, glorifies God. It does. When you choose to be generous rather than stingy, with no notice anybody else seeing you ever do it, glorifies God. Glorifies God. As, as Brad would say, good, good works glorify God. Our choices in how we'll respond to things glorify God. Those tragedies that happen to us, our response is meant to glorify God. But this happened. It had to happen. For whatever reason, it happened. It's not a fatalistic thing. It just it happened. It just did. It's like the rain coming down today. We have plans that involve me cutting tile this afternoon. It's a big chance of rain. So if the rain happens, Joe, it just happens. I'm not going to electrocute myself on it with a tile saw outside. I'll find something else to do around my house to finish it. If, the, if it rains, it happens. It just happens. It's not God's judgment telling me, don't you tile that shower. No, it's just because moisture came out of the Gulf of Mexico, mixed in with some pressure, and all of a sudden we got rain. That's the best thing. I'm not a weatherman, not a meteorologist. <laughs> my grandfather used to have one of those rocks on a leather strap, and I honestly believe that it could tell the weather. If you... If it was wet, it's raining. <laughs> if there's some snow on it, it's snowing. If there's a little ice crystals on it, it's been sleeting. If you can't see it, it's foggy. And if it's swirling around, it's a tornado. I used to think, man, that, why do we need the weather channel? And then about 17, I got what that rock on that strap was. It was a joke. Anyways. Oh, man. But the stuff that happens just happens. Can't stop it. So you know what? Because it happens and we trust it into his hands, we follow his lead. We follow. We follow. Sometimes we follow his lead through his word. Sometimes we follow the lead through the, the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And sometimes when those two things won't work, it takes another godly person who knows what we're going through to come along and say, Listen, I know... I." I you should be heading this direction. And then you're like, yeah, I read that. I felt that. Maybe I just needed to hear that. But we follow his leading. For truly trusting him, we follow him. This guy had to trust in what was going on because he was probably wondering, what is he rubbing? I heard, heard him spit. I mean, close your eyes and think about what that would have been like. You hear somebody spit, trust me, you know that, you know what that sound is. You hear the spit, you hear it hit the ground, you hear some mumbling around, and all of a sudden, something moist is touching your face. He had to follow the lead, because, you know what, the guy could have been like, ain't no way, and he could have wiped it off, and he would have still been blind. Probably wouldn't even have this in our, 
in our Bible. I don't know. We may have. We don't know. But what we do have is a guy who followed Jesus' lead. Jesus said, go. He sent him to a place called sin. The guy goes, makes sense. Let's go. So he goes and he washes it off. He obeys. So you have him. It happened. We trust. We follow. And then we obey. He said, go and wash. He said, go and do it. Clean it off. The guy's thinking, I'm with you. I'll clean it off. And he does. And there's two things that, two things that happen in an outcome like this. There were two outcomes we had when, when things go right, but when we, when we were seeking to glorify God through the adversity, small to big, this is what we find. Number one, the outcomes bring glory to God. We don't get the credit for it. We don't get the glory for it. The man goes and washed and he came home seeing. That has nothing to do with the water. Has nothing to do with the man. Has all to do with the Savior who healed him. And the man doesn't even take any credit for it because this is what he begins to discover. And next week we'll, we'll see the conclusion of this. And it's this one. Go ahead, David. He, he discovers a true life with Jesus Christ. This man probably questioned, why have I been born blind? Why? He just knew that he was. Says the man, they called Jesus, made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. And that's how the gospel comes to a lot of people's lives. It's through adversity. It's through the hard moments that people realize how good Jesus is. And it's either one just on their own and the Holy Spirit speaking to them, or they are watching a believer go through something. They're like, wow, I want what they have. We get so stuck into thinking that the gospel only gets spread if I say the right words at the right moment, the right thing. No, the gospel gets spread as you respond in the right way to what's going on around you. And folks are watching. People are watching. Gene, are family members watching? Absolutely, family members are watching. And that's the gospel. That God created us for a relationship with him and oh, our sins have separated us from God. And the S is sins that they can't be removed by good deeds. Sin cannot be removed by good deeds. You can't help enough little old ladies across the street. You can't lead enough Bible studies to get to heaven. It only comes one way. That paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And he is, is the one we got to remember. Everyone who trusts in him alone. When he said, I am the way, that word the in the original Greek is a qualifier. And it's, it means the word only. If we could translate that, Jesus said, I am the only way, the only truth, and the, the only life. And then that L, life that's eternal, not lasts, not, I mean, starts now and it lasts forever. Starts now and lasts forever. That's the gospel. And it's simple. And sometimes we try to over-explain it, but it's literally that simple that he died paying the price for our sin and we trust in him. We trust in him. And that's what the man did. We're going to find out at the end of next week, spoiler alert, he chooses to trust in Jesus. He's, Jesus says, uh, ask him if he knows who the Son of Man is, so he might believe. And he says, tell me who the Son of Man is that I might believe. And Jesus says, I'm him. The one you're looking at. <laughs> the one you can now see. It's me. That true life with Christ. 
Big idea is this, this morning. Oh yeah, before I get there, I gotta say this. Notice, we didn't say the problem is solved. There's some things that happen in our life that cannot be undone. Can't be. Just can't. Sometimes people get healed. Sometimes they don't. But what God is leading us and them through is facing that adversity with Him. Bring glory to Him. One of the, one of my favorite just Christian witnesses, like when you see somebody living out their faith, is a young man who on a daily basis, he's graduated high school, but on a daily basis, from the confines of his wheelchair, gets on social media and praises Jesus, sharing it with his friends. Now this guy's got way more followers and friends than I do. Way more. I got 12 followers on Twitter, Joe. Get on Twitter, you can be number 13 for me. Be awesome. Lucky number 13, come on. But this guy is out there just sharing how good God is. He's stuck in a wheelchair. It's hard for him to move his muscles. He's got to stretch every day just to move a little bit. He spends more time stretching than he does moving so he can just move a little bit. Yet he promotes the name of Jesus. His problem isn't his problem, what we would call his problem, isn't solved. But to him, his problem isn't a problem. It's just life. It happened. So he chooses to use his life to glorify Jesus and root for the sinners. But he glorifies Jesus all the same. I didn't know if I was going to catch Blanche and amening on that one. I didn't know if I would. But see, sometimes we expect things, the outcomes to end up the way we hope. It's not what happens. Because God sees from beginning to end what he is attempting to accomplish and who he is bringing to to him in what moment so he knows the outcomes that suit his plan within his wisdom. So those things that don't happen, those problems that we wish would end up a different way, do I wish my stepdad would have been cured of the lymphoma? Absolutely. I do. But it happened. So my mother and her responses, family and then my stepsister and her responses, it's either going to glorify God, it's either going to point toward Him or point away toward self. And I know for my mother, she does her best to glorify God in it. So I want to encourage you with this in this last one, is that all the adversity, small, big, mundane, minute, to great, is an opportunity to see God work through you. One thing I do know, this is the testimony of the man to the Pharisees that are grilling him with questions. I love it. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. There's no other greater thing to glorify God than just to simply say he did this for me. The adversity we face is an opportunity to see God at work. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, in this room, you know what absolutely everybody is going through, the adversity that they face, that they face. Whether it's something personal, whether it's caused by another person, whether it's, uh, they're brokenhearted for a family member, whether it's a struggle they've kept to themselves that nobody else knows. Maybe they, maybe they struggle with impatience and anger and every little small thing just sets them off, or maybe it's a big tragedy. Lord, adversity is such a broad ranging topic. 
But God, I believe in your wisdom and the power of your Holy Spirit. You speak to each and every one of us to guide us along this path. So wherever steps of faith need to take place, Lord, I know where mine are. And I thank you for your words speaking to me this week about this passage. God, I pray that you, you help us to follow and to hear from you individually about how you want us to move, how you want us to, to not wallow in the self-pity of what has happened to me, but to truly trust in God what you're wanting to do for us. Lord, we ask this, and we ask this first and foremost, God, that your name would be glorified through what we do, that you would lead us through your Holy Spirit to reflect the love and the grace of Jesus Christ to those around us. And Lord, we thank you for this time we've had to share in your word, and it's in your name we pray. And amen. Amen. amen.